Welcome to the program, The Spirituality of the Catholic Church, as Father Paul Keenan teaches on God and man in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And now, Father Paul Keenan. Hello, I'm Father Paul Keenan, and it's a pleasure for me to be back with you to talk to you this morning about prayer, to talk to you about prayer and about the Catechism of the Catholic Church and of how our life of prayer fits into the whole spectrum of the spirituality of our church. We're at that fourth part of the Catechism now, talking about prayer, and we're at the part where it talks about the life of prayer in the church, expressions of prayer. The Catechism says that prayer is the life of the new heart, which should animate us at every moment, and... We're going to look at some of the different ways in which we might consider praying. One of them, of course, is vocal prayer, where we say our prayers, as as we used to say. And uh, there are many prayers, most of our prayers, I guess, we'll we'll say vocally, often the, the Our Father, the Hail Mary, the Rosary. We might recite the Psalms vocally. We might say our personal prayers out loud. Uh, much of the prayer that we say at Mass is vocal prayer, whether it's prayer by singing or prayer by saying prayers. It's vocal prayer. We lift up our voices to the Lord, and it's certainly appropriate that we do that, and we need to do that. Because I think there's something about the act of feeling our voice as we pray that can really help our hearts to lift themselves up as well. But there are lots of other prayers that we say that are really silent prayers. And these are legitimate prayers, too. And the Catechism talks about uh, some of those. It talks about meditation, and it talks about contemplation. And uh, even though in contemporary parlance about prayer we often mix those two together, there is in our tradition a real difference between meditative prayer and um, contemplative prayer. Meditative prayer is when we employ our minds and our hearts to think about or to ponder something that we uh, read in a book or read in the scriptures, particularly in the Gospels. Or if we um, happen to have a holy picture around, uh, a stained glass window perhaps in in our church, or an icon, or... um, something in a a book of prayer, a writing passage from one of the spiritual fathers. I just quoted something the last time from John Vianney, the Curie of Ars. Uh, We've quoted some things from some of the fathers and doctors of the church in this series. And when we take the time to really think about those passages and really try to see how we can adapt those to our lives, that's meditation, Meditation is when the mind seeks to understand the why and how of Christian life so that we can respond to what the Lord is asking, do what the Lord wants. And being attentive to the Lord as we meditate on a passage of Scripture, 
or in, on a window or on a book or on a holy card or whatever it happens to be. To meditate like that can be a very difficult thing for us to sustain because our attention can wander. And uh, and yet that's all right. We cannot let our um, wanderings really distract us. We find ourselves being distracted. Well, we can simply just uh, let go of that and uh, and get ourselves back to where we are. I think we can sometimes get too distracted by our distractions and and get distracted by the fact that we're distracted. And uh, what we need to do instead is to uh, to let ourselves uh, just go back to what it is we're thinking about and get ourselves back to God. When we meditate on what we read, when we don't just speed through the four Gospels or through a book like the Catechism, we really allow ourselves to make this book or this passage or this Gospel our own. In other words... What's happening here is I'm not just reading a text, but I'm saying to myself, you know, in my daily life, how does this thing help? So as the Catechism says, what we're doing here is we're opening to ourselves the book of life. Not just the book I hold in front of me, but the book that unfolds in the events of my every day. And I'm going back and forth between the two. So if I, I find a passage from the Gospels, for example, that... Uh, really speaks to something that's going on in my life right now, what's happening is that I'm drawing my life into the Gospels and the Gospels into my life. Now, there are lots of ways of meditating, and there's no one way that's correct. Some people will tell you these days that you have to take a few deep breaths before you start meditating, and and that's very fine. That's very helpful for people to do that kind of uh, deep breathing because it gets them going in their meditation, gets them in contact with the deeper levels of ourselves. St. Ignatius Loyola always told his followers to say a little preparatory prayer uh, to God, a little beginning prayer to sort of set the stage and to ask for what we want in the prayer. Generally, he would say it would be for a deeper knowledge and union with God. He suggested uh, that uh, his retreatants start their prayer that way. But there are lots and lots of ways of meditating. There's no one position that's correct. Uh, There's no one um, way of praying that's correct. Whatever really works for you and whatever helps you to connect what you are reading or the passage of Scripture that you're on with the life of God is certainly fine. What is so wonderful about meditation, about meditative prayer, is that it engages so much of us. It engages our thoughts, our imagination, our emotions, and our desires. When we really meditate on a passage of the Scripture, when I take the the passage where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep and mine know me, and, and maybe... Maybe I'm a a parent, and I've been wondering about maybe one of my children and feeling that maybe I am just not reaching that child right now, and there, there looks like there's trouble brewing, and I don't know what to do. I can meditate on that passage about the Good Shepherd, and I might just find that not only is my intellect being engaged, but also my imagination, and maybe by the power of 
the Holy Spirit, I am beginning to say, gee, I, I think I can maybe be a little more compassionate and understanding to this child that seems to be in trouble. Maybe I can let this child know they can come and talk to me. Maybe they don't know that right now. Maybe it's not just laying down the law, but maybe it's knowing, letting them know that if they're troubled, they can come to me, letting them see that. Maybe uh, maybe we need to do something together, a fun activity or something, so that the child will get a sense that I really do care. Meditation then can engage not only my thoughts and my imagination, it can engage my feelings. If Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, how that increases my feeling of love toward Jesus, and how it might increase also my feeling of love toward that child that I'm worried about or concerned about. Or maybe if... um Maybe I'm involved in a, a CCD group or something in my parish where I'm preparing children for sacraments, and um, maybe I'm a little worried about uh, how the parents are wondering how I can get the parents involved in my program. Maybe one day I find myself meditating about the passage where parents bring their little children to Jesus. And Jesus, one of the disciples, are shooing them away, says, Come, let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, because theirs is the kingdom of God. Maybe as I'm praying about that, I can wonder what Jesus might say to the parents there, how he might address them, what he might say to them. Maybe I can get a clue for what Jesus would like me to do in, in helping, and I could even ask him and in helping the parents that I'm working with, or that I want to work with, who are bringing their kids to us for instruction. So meditation can engage my imagination and my emotions and my thoughts and also my desires. And uh, at the very end of this, the Catechism says one other thing. It's a very important thing. We can get a great deal personally out of our meditative prayer. But we should even take our meditative prayer one step further. It's not just about me getting something personally out of it, but it's what I'm coming to know about the Lord. Sometimes, especially in this day and age, we can get a little too hung up, I think, on uh, what am I getting out of this? How is this program helping me? It's not a program to help me. It's a pro. It's a an opportunity, really, more than a program. An opportunity to help the Lord and myself to come together. So uh, we need to just kind of check our meditations every once in a while. Check them to make sure that uh, we are not just looking or fishing for something for ourselves, but that we're really coming to know the Lord. How long should I meditate, by the way? Do I have to meditate for a whole hour every day? Well, obviously, if I can do that, that's wonderful. But uh, even if I find that, you know, as much as I can sustain right now is five minutes, do the five minutes. The importance is to do it and to build up the ability to do it. Just because we need that lift, we need that time with the Lord, and uh, 
none of us can really afford to get along without it, even though we try to. Well, there's meditative prayer. When I reflect on a passage of Scripture, a, a passage from a holy book or something like that, that really helps me to, or the words of a, a hymn or a Christian song or something like that, that really helps me to um, get in touch with the Lord, to put my life in His hands, get some thoughts, get some feelings going that really help me to commit myself to Him. But there is another kind of prayer in the church, which is different from meditative prayer, even though it often gets mixed up with meditative prayer. It's called contemplative prayer. St. Teresa tells us what contemplative prayer is. She says, contemplative prayer, in my opinion, is nothing else than a close sharing between friends. It means taking time frequently to be alone with him who we know loves us. Contemplative prayer is simply being alone with God. It's just very simply being there. Not necessarily having any thoughts or ideas or opening a book or having any words. It's just taking time to be in the presence of God. Now, how can we do that? Well, we can do it at the beginning of a day, if we like. If we just take a moment to quiet ourselves down and not necessarily read or do anything, but just sort of be there in the presence of God. Sometimes that makes people a little nervous, just being there. They're not having any thoughts or anything, and they kind of wiggle and squirm and wonder, is anything happening? Well, yes, it is. It's just time spent in the presence of a friend. We all know those um, special kinds of relationships that we have with certain people where uh, we don't even need to say a word and and yet we, we know what we're communicating, we know what we're feeling, we can just look at each other and just be there. We don't need to have a lot of conversation, we don't certainly need to have a lot of chit-chat, but we just be there with each other and, and we love it, maybe over a cup of tea or something. Well, that is what contemplation is. It's just our being alone with God because we like being with God. And... Um, we can choose whatever time and whatever length of, of prayer that, that we want. Whatever time is available to us, whatever time is uh, is given to us. And, uh, you know, the thing is, wonderful thing about contemplative prayer is that I may have a busy job and a busy life, and, and I may say to myself, well, you know, all this about spiritual books and spiritual reading and stuff is great, but who has time for this? Well, if I'm too tired, I still can have contemplative prayer. Contemplative prayer is the one thing I can have. I can kick off my shoes and sit in my chair for two or three minutes and just be alone with God and without saying a word, offer my life and my thoughts to Him, offer my mind and my heart to Him. Catechism says one cannot always meditate, but one can always enter into inner prayer, independently of the conditions of health, work, or emotional state. The heart is the place of quest and encounter in poverty and in faith. Contemplative prayer its a wonderful gift that God can give us. The Catechism calls it a gaze of faith fixed on Jesus. I look at him and he looks at me. Again, that's from the Curé of ours. Prayed so very simply. 
We don't have to have a lot of time for contemplative prayer. We just do it. Just simply, quietly offering ourselves to God. And it really and truly is hearing the Word of God. It's an interior knowledge of the Lord, knowing Him in a way that really is beyond concepts and ideas and problem-solving and all of those other things. It's fundamentally a silence. And you know, sometimes we think that only in the monasteries can they have that kind of silence. And the answer is, you can have that kind of silence in the middle of a busy bus or subway in the middle of a busy city. You can be driving your car and still be contemplating, still have that silence there. You can be in a noisy house with a lot of kids, and you can still be in silence before God. Gather yourself into it for two or three minutes. We don't need to be in a monastery. It's great if we can do that, when we can go make retreats and visit monasteries and be in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament in church, but we can't always do that. We can be contemplatives right at home, right where the noise is, by withdrawing ourselves into moments of silence in our hearts. Now, the Catechism also speaks of the battle of prayer, and I guess any of us who have tried to pray really know what, what that is all about. Prayer is a, is a gift of peace, but it's also a determined struggle sometimes, and sometimes we just do battle to be able to pray because, of course, there are lots of reasons not to pray. People want us to do things. They want us to be more involved. We're, we're so busy. We're, um, well, there are even attitudes in our society that says, oh, prayer is silly. That's just a lot of uh, psychological activity. It's just fairy tales, this prayer. There's a lot of that kind of attitude in our society. Why do you pray to the saints? Don't be silly, people say. I mean, there's just a lot of these erroneous, wrong, false attitudes about prayer in our society. And we just need to not listen to the mentality of the present world and do what we know is right. Take that time, no matter what anybody says, take that time to pray. Sometimes when we pray, we'll, um, <laughs> we'll find out that we, we don't seem to get what we want. I pray and pray and nothing happens. I don't get an answer to my prayers. Nothing seems to be going on. And uh, the Catechism reminds us that, uh, you know, we, we need to, um, we need to just have a look at ourselves and, uh, and say, uh, is this prayer something that I want to do? Am I just doing this for results? Am I just praying in order to get results? Or am I praying because I love God? There's an awful lot of things we do when we really love people that don't seem to get any immediate results. Can we do this for God? But there are real difficulties in prayer. Right? To pray requires a lot of vigilance. Uh, distractions can be a problem in prayer. As I said, we just sort of put those aside and go back to it. Dryness is another uh, thing about prayer. And when we're dry in prayer, when nothing seems to be going on, we don't feel anything for God or have any memories or feelings or anything else. I pray and pray and pray, and no matter what I do, I don't feel anything. Nothing happens. Well, maybe we need to work with a spiritual director for a while and see if we can find another way of praying that, that might give us what we're we're looking for. But it just might be that the dryness that we experience is 
going to burst forward into an invitation to a deeper sense of the life of God. Remember those days that Jesus spent in the desert? And it was out there in the desert that he really found, came out finding the call of God to be strong. And it was after his days in the desert that he found that call of God, this is my son, my chosen one. And he was able to go on then and and um, and follow what God wanted him to do. Remember the transfiguration up on the mountain where he heard that that voice and then he went on into his passion and had the strength to follow through with it and and knew that intimacy with God. Well, maybe maybe my dryness is the um just the waiting for a door to open which God's going to shower his blessings and graces and sense of mission upon me. Certainly as a reminder that apart from God we can do nothing. That's not a bad reminder for us to have. Maybe um, dryness in our prayer will help us to remember to ask God to help us in our daily work. Maybe we're getting a little too cocky and independent. And the prayer dryness is a, a way of um, our just uh, being reminded by God that we need Him in our everyday. It can also be a way of all of these things, the temptations, the dryness, and, and even laziness, asadia, the catechism calls it, where we just get a little lazy about our prayer, our prayer habits. All of these things can remind us of our filial trust in God. Uh, when we complain about not being heard because we're not getting results in our prayer, that can be a reminder to us that our lives are not about results. Our lives are about really just trusting in the Lord and going on with His plan, knowing and trusting that He's constantly unfolding beneath the events of our day a plan for our life. And praying for the grace to see what that plan is. And sometimes when we think our prayer isn't doing any good, we need to remember that our prayer may be efficacious, as we say, both in developing a, a kind of virtue within ourselves, a patience within ourselves, opening our hearts to allow the Lord to pray within us, but also we have no idea, we have no idea how the time and the effort that we are spending in prayer might be helping someone else in the world in a way in which we don't even know. Remember I said earlier that... Uh, each of us in his own corner of the world can do something every day to make the world a better place. And we're influencing the world. We're putting energy, either positive or negative energy, out into the world by our attitudes. And when I pray, I may not necessarily be getting something for me, but I am certainly putting something positive out into the world. And who knows, maybe the inspiration or the help or the little miracle I got today in my life came from the fact that somebody way off in some remote corner of the world was praying that somebody else in some other re remote corner of the world would not give up but would experience the help and love of God. And I got the help and love of God because somebody else took the time to pray for that. So my prayer, let's not ever give up on our prayer being efficacious. What we need to do is to continue to persevere in love in our prayer. And finally, 
the Catechism brings us to something it calls the prayer of the hour of Jesus. And uh, it directs our attention to that priestly prayer of Jesus in the 17th chapter of St. John's Gospel. It's a wonderful prayer because it comes at a time when Jesus is really upset. He's about to go to his passion. The apostles are really worried. They don't know what's going on or what's going to happen. And Jesus simply recapitulates all of the teaching that he has given them in this prayer from the depths of his heart, prayer out of love and praise for his Father, and prayer out of love for the ones that the Father has given to him. This prayer is a whole summary of Jesus' life, and it's an anticipation of his sacrifice on the cross. It's an anticipation of his resurrection. Everything, everything is in this prayer. It's a prayer of unity. It's a prayer of hope. It's a prayer of honesty, a prayer of concern about these people that are in front of him who have to do this mission, and it doesn't look like they're ready to do it. It's the whole thing. In the final analysis, it's a prayer of faith in the Father and in the Spirit. And that's a, a wonderful prayer for us to pray, this prayer of the hour of Jesus. Every once in a while to get out that 17th chapter of John and, and use it as a basis for our own prayer when we're getting discouraged. Maybe even uh, at times that we're so discouraged with ourselves and feel we're not worthy to be followers of Christ Jesus. And remember that part of the prayer where he says, I, I'm not just praying, Father, for the people that are in front of me right now, but I'm praying for all of those after them who will believe in my name and will believe on their testimony. That's us. We are no more worthy to be disciples. We are no more apt at being disciples than those first apostles were at that moment. And Jesus took the time and the trouble to pray for us as truly as he took the time and the trouble to pray for them. We are explicitly included in that prayer. So we start getting discouraged, we start getting down on ourselves and saying, I'm giving up, I'm not worthy, I can't do this, there's no sense in doing it. We can remember, we can make our prayer that prayer of Jesus and just unite our prayer with his. He prayed for us, he prayed for you and me, this day, this year. And so we can just unite our prayer with him and say, Lord, help me to go on, help me to be worthy of the prayer you prayed for me. So there it is, our life of prayer, prayer that is offered to us by God, prayer to which he has called us forever, and the prayer that makes all the difference in our lives. Thank you for joining us today for the Spirituality of the Catholic Church with Father Paul Keenan. You may write to Father Keenan in care of the Office of Communications, Diocese of New York, 1011 First Avenue, New York, New York, 10022.